about listening. I, I wrote listening down. Someone told day I was asking, sometimes you get good sermon content by asking questions. I asked this question to somebody that was in the office, and he said, you know, humor goes a long way. And it does. Um, not making fun of the person. Laughing with them, not at them. That can be good, right? So that's good. Um, if you have a long-term relationship with somebody, do you have a chance that they're going to offend you or you're going to offend them? Yeah. And whenever that happens, what kind of communication is needed? Forgiveness? forgiveness? Does anybody agree with that? What about if, if you have a situation where you catch somebody saying something about you or doing something wrong to you or whatever, and you catch them doing it, or if that's one scenario. The other scenario is they do it, but then they, they feel bad about it and they come tell you and say, listen, I did this and it was wrong and I want you to, sorry, which one do you trust more? The one you catch or the one that tells you? The one that tells you, right? It still may not be good, but it's definitely better if they come and they fess up. Are, you ever, ever have kids that come and tell you they did wrong? Did that make you feel a little bit better about the kid? There's a little bit more trustworthiness that happens when the kid fesses up or owns up to what they did that was wrong. I think a part of, a part of good, a good relationship long-term is if there is confession, there is repentance, and there is forgiveness in that relationship. Well, if that's true in human relationships, it's also true in our relationship with God. God doesn't have anything to confess to us because he's perfect, he's sinless, he didn't do anything wrong. But if you're going to have a good relationship with God, God long term, what are the different aspects that we have, for instance, in our prayer life? When we have a good relationship with God, there should be an honor and a respect. And, and with God, it goes even beyond that to worship, right? To rightly understand who God is, we begin to understand that my role is worshiper and his role is to be the one that's worshiped and to honor him and to know him for who he is. So part of our prayer life ought to be worship. Thanksgiving ought to be part of my prayer life and communication with him. Do you agree with that? Because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James says. So part of my relationship with God should include, part of my communication with God ought to be thanksgiving. I know that everything that I need, God is the one who supplies it. So one of the verses I've been quoting to a friend lately a lot is, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a sense in which that, like, we got to ask Ask God for things, and he supplies those things. And he's like a father who likes to give us things um, when we ask him, right? But there's also one more kind of, kind of communication that we're going to have with God. If we're going to have a good relationship with God, the name of this series is Staying True in a World Far from God. Um, if we're going to stay true to God in a world far from God, there's times where we're going to realize we wander, we do wrong. And to have a good relationship with God, 
uh, there ought to be confession. Now, some may say, well, Pastor Ben, when I got saved, Jesus already forgave me of all my sin. And I want you to know he did. How many of your sins had you committed when Jesus died on the cross, right? We all sinned in Adam. That's, that's, that's part of that federal headship. That's part of that imputed sin that we have, original sin. But in terms of actually in time doing wrong, I hadn't done anything wrong because I hadn't been alive yet. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for sins that I would commit. They're past now and present and future to me now. But when he died for he died for all of them. So when we're confessing, you say, well, there's a, what do you mean I got to confess my sin? Well, it's not about staying one of his kids. It's about having a good relationship with him. It's about agreeing... What is repentance? Repentance is agreeing with God about my sin. I see my sin the way God sees it. That's what repentance means. My mind is changed and my heart is changed and my approach and, and, and my perspective on my sin is the same as what God has. And if that's the case, I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to confess my sin um, so that I can stay a child of God. I'm already a child of God. I'm confessing my sin because I want to maintain my relationship with God. And if I'm going to have a good relationship with God, here's the thing I know about you. You sinned today. So did I. If you don't think you sinned today, you need to read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Right? Because he says, if you think you have no sin, uh, the truth isn't in you. Right? We sin. We're good at it right? And uh, the closer we get to the Lord, the more we'll recognize our sin. That, uh, we can sin less, but until we get to see Jesus, we'll never be sinless, right? And so um, it's right for us to have, if we're going to have a good relationship with God, it's good for us to confess our sin. It's good for us. This is what's so good about prayer. It's a, a way of aligning ourselves with God um, if you pray every day, it could be like a, a little flag, a discipline to say, hey, I, have I done anything? Oh, man, I did do that, didn't I? God, I'm sorry. Help me with that. Forgive me for that. That can be a part of what we do. We're in a series called Staying True in a World Far From God. And we're talked about different things that will help us to stay true in a world far from God. Um, uh, and we've talked about prayer. We've talked about a lot of different things. Tonight we're going to talk about confession. And we're going to do that by studying Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel chapter number 9 is uh, in, in da Daniel's life. Um, he, this is during King Darius's reign. Um, you can see that. Where's my Bible? Oh, here it is. Bibles are good when you preach. Amen. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. You guys are fun to preach to. Thanks for being here. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of Medes. Can I tell you that the key to pronouncing names in the Bible is to pronounce them however you pronounce them and just keep going? And people think, oh, that's how you say it. That was for free. Okay. 
of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. That gives you, right, there's the context of what's going on. Daniel, we know Daniel was a bright guy. He was a, a man of books. Anybody here like to read? I love to read. Yeah, it's awesome. I love audiobooks, podcasts, YouTube, Kindle books, audio. I love just all that stuff. It's a good thing, too, because it's kind of what I have to do. And Daniel was that way. And Daniel, he, he, he's reading, and he comes across Jeremiah's writing. And in Jeremiah's writing, Jeremiah prophesies that Jerusalem was going to get taken over and that they were going to be taken out and that the time of frame from when he's taken out of Jerusalem to when it's going to be over is how many years? 70 years. Now, was Daniel a young man when that happened? He, he experienced, he experienced what I mean by this is, and early if you go back to chapter number one, when Jerusalem was sacked and they took him out, Daniel was young. And so he's reading the Bible and he's getting to a place in the Bible where he goes, oh, this is going to be 70 years, right? This is going to be, a, we're not, go-. and he's probably adding up how old he is and how many 70 years. Like, man, if I'm even alive to be able to go back, then I'm going to be an old man. And, he, and you can just tell it's pretty, pretty difficult. And so he's reading and he's figuring out that the length of the desolation of Jerusalem and the Judean exile would be 70 years. And you can read, if you want to write, if you're writing on your paper, you want to write to the side, you want to go back and read about that. Um, he would have been reading probably in Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, or maybe in Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. And so since Babylon fell in 539 B.C., and since Daniel had been taken captive in 605 B.C., and remember when you're talking about B.C., it's counting down to zero, right? They, that's not how they told time. That's how we tell time. Talking about what happened at year zero, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, right? So this is, uh, and there's, there's some changes in dating and all that. But the point is, this is, it, it fell in 539. He was taken captain in 605. And so he, he calculated that the 70 years was almost over. So thus Daniel sought the Lord for the restoration of Jerusalem and the return of God's people to their land. Daniel's responding to the sin of the nation, and he's doing it here with confession. He's doing it with fasting and with prayer. And so Daniel's prayer teaches us something about what true repentance looks like. Here's my Big idea. Here's my objective statement. The objective I want to give to you tonight is this. Since confession and repentance keep us close to the Lord, we should do these actions modeled in the prayer of Daniel, found here in Daniel chapter 9, verses 3, and we're going to go all the way to 19. Here's the first action that we need to take, and it says here it's to practice confession to the Lord. Practice confession to the Lord. Here's what it says. And by the way, our internet went out today and Jeff Wagner has been here since like three working on it. 
and he's worked all the way up to about now. And so my wife prepared this really nice uh, PowerPoint for me. She's so nice, um, but the internet wouldn't let us get it. So uh, we've had one made, um, which I'm really excited about. So that's pretty cool. So let's thank the sound people back here for making our good job, everybody. Okay, so that's cool. So I'm really thankful for for that. Verse 3, and I set my face, it says, unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping thy covenant, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Now, before I keep moving, before I read the next few words, somebody sum up what he just said. What does he call his prayer in verse four? A confession. You see that? He's, I'm praying and I made my confession. I... In a prayer, you can have, we talked about worship, we talked about confession, we talked about thanksgiving, we think about, talk about requests. Can you have a prayer that's just requests? Can you make a prayer that's just asking for things? That's kind of like my flare prayer today, right? Like, God, could you just help me out? Could you have a prayer that's just thanksgiving, right? You, you can have a prayer that's just worship, right? This is a prayer he's saying, this is just a confessional prayer. I'm just confessing. That's why the theme of this sermon is about confession. He says, I made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. What does he, what is, sum up what he just said. What, what does that mean? I'll call you out. What do you think, Jimmy? This is verse 4. O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them and to them that keep his commandments. To them that love him and keep his commandments. I mean, Jimmy doesn't have to do it. I'll put pressure on him. Yeah. You're a promise. Who agrees? This is talking about promise-keeping God. Covenant. What's a covenant? It's it's a a promise. A promise that he's made. What are some of the promises that Daniel would have known that God made? What does the Abrahamic covenant include? Land. Well, they had had it. They were in a land that they just got exiled out of. And that's kind of my point. Yeah, that's right. So in the Abrahamic covenant, he promised a land. What else did he promise? A lineage. And he promised that he would be their Lord. So there's your three, right? So that in him, I'm going ble- to bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. I'll make your name great, and in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So that's one of those, that's one of those covenants that have been made. Anybody think of any other covenants that Daniel would have known about? The Davidic covenant. What was the Davidic covenant? That David would always have a, a king, there would be a king on David's throne. Does it, 
what is he trying to, what, what, what was he reading in Jeremiah? What was Daniel reading about in Jeremiah? The destruction of Jerusalem and then being taken out of Jerusalem. So when he starts praying to God, a confession back to God, what's one of the first things he brings up? Oh, Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant. <laughs> you, you think he's bringing this up? And mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. So he, is he, he's bringing up covenant for a reason. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay, then what does he say? Verse five. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. What's the nature of Daniel's confession. In this particular passage, it's a national confession. Daniel had actually been a pretty upright guy. We learned, we learned last week that how the only way they could convict him, Brother Gentry taught us, was that they convicted him for being someone who prayed, Right? We learned a few weeks ago that Daniel purposed in his heart not to be defiled by the king's meat. You guys remember that? So Daniel's a pretty upright guy, but he's reading Jeremiah and he's realizing we've messed up. We went against God's revelation. We've gone against God's commandments. We've gone against God's judgments. And Part of that is that we didn't even we didn't believe and follow and obey the people God sent, right? And that's what verse uh, six. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. Do you have a a thought? Go for it. Jerusalem, yeah. Culturally, probably that's true. Right. It's pretty fresh. Right. Right. I'm not saying, and I agree with you, in what you're trying to kind of push back a little bit, and I agree, I don't think Daniel's perfect. And I, I'm sure he found in this where he's been a part of that. And if there's anybody that understands, I think, this kind of idea, it probably is us as Americans. That when I look at our nation and some of the things that are going on, it, I certainly don't agree with everything that's happening in our nation. Does anybody... I think that's one thing we can all agree on is that we don't agree on everything. And I don't agree with everything, but I, I also am a product of this culture, right? I, I also probably, if there were people outside of this culture to come examine my life or your life being Americans, they might think, man, those are some pretty spoiled people. We got a lot of, 
you know, maybe they haven't, they don't, they're not praying like they should. They're not doing what they should. And that's where I, I think that's, I think that's where, where Daniel is right here. Um, and that's what I want to talk about, okay? How do I know? Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Has that ever happened to you? Where somebody hurt you, they were disloyal? It's happened to me. There's probably been a time where I've done it to somebody else. How do you know that they're really, truly repentant? How do you know that their confession, because you ever have this with your kids? Are you crying because you got caught? Are you crying because you're, because you're repentant, because you realize that your sin was wrong and you're, are you with me? How do you know that someone is truly repentant? Well, the truth of it is, in the moment, you don't know totally. One of the ways you can tell that repentance is true is a long obedience in the right direction afterwards. I was going this way, I was thinking this way, and now I'm going this way, and I'm thinking this way. But one of the things you know, this, this is probably the best way to say this. One way you know they're not repentant, not truly repentant, or not as repentant as they ought to be, is if they make a whole bunch of excuses as to why they did what they did. Yeah, I did wrong, but you... Yeah, I shouldn't have done this thing, but I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't of. Are you with me? I don't see any of that in Daniel's confession. He's just saying, we messed up. We're wrong. He doesn't say, my people, the people. Yeah, God, these Jews, <laughs> right? He says, we, right? And so, he, there's, an ex, there's an extolling of God. There's an understanding of who God is. And then, and then there's an enumeration, a, a, a discussion of the sins. We must own our sins and the sins of the people uh, that we lead even at times. The Bible teaches us that when we conceal our sins, we will not prosper. But when we confess and renounce our sins... We find mercy from the Lord. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Think about that. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. What he's saying is, if you have a habit and a lifestyle that you're always constantly covering your sin, that's not a road to prosperity. Why? Because you've got to have a good memory if you keep concealing everything. You've got to remember who you told what when. If you just remember what happened and say that, that, that's a good thing. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sins, them shall have mercy. Who are you more likely to forgive, the person you catch or the person who confesses? That's what it's trying to say. So if we want to have a close relationship with the Lord, and if we want to do the right thing, and here's the thing about God. Does God know what we've done? He knows everything we did. He knows why we did it, right? He knows, he knows the wins, the wheres, the hows. He understands it all. It's, it doesn't do you any good to cover it up. 
Pastor Ben, it doesn't do me good to cover it up. It's time for us to, to practice confession to God. Since confession and repentance keep us close to the Lord, we should do these three actions modeled in the prayer of David. Number one, practice confession. And it's probably not something that you just do once. How often do you sin? That's how often you ought to confess. And the good news is God forgives us for things that we don't even remember we did. Praise the Lord for that. Here's a number two. And these are all kind of related. I'm just trying to put labels on what he's trying to say to kind of give us a summary. Number two, pursue closeness with the Lord. Pursue closeness with the Lord. Look at verse seven. Um, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel that are near and that are afar off, Though all the countries, whether thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of faith, to our face, to, con- to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets." This is a lot of the same kind of thing. But there's this definite kind of allusion to the fact that um, they're not close to the Lord because of their decisions. They're not right with the Lord. They're even from a, he's using the language of how far they are from the land as also how far they are from God. You see that kind of in the, in the narration there. Um, he says, we're not, we're not close to the Lord. Even the ones in Jerusalem and the ones that are afar off, we're just not close to the Lord. O Lord, Lord, to us belongeth confusion and faith. To you belong mercies and forgiveness. When, when Daniel says to the Lord that righteousness belongeth un, uh, unto thee or, or um, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, he was seeking the righteous compassion and forgiveness of the Lord. These are the means to closeness with him. Granted, we can never lose our relationship with the Lord, but sin destroys our fellowship with the Lord. Our recognition of our infractions towards God is the first step to be restored to intimacy with God. The classic verse on that is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to lead us to all uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Increase and guard your closeness with the Lord by confessing your sin and asking for his righteousness, compassion, and forgiveness. Um, this is a preview for a couple weeks from now, but this is what I was journaling in my, my devotional time this morning. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, real quick. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse um, 7. If ye endure chastening, it says, God deal with you as sons, for what son is, the, is he whom the father chasteneth not? You know what I'm saying? Good, good fathers discipline their kids. Good dads discipline their kids. If you don't ever discipline your kids, you're not a good dad. Um, that's what good dads do. That's what seem bad dads do. More on that here in a second. 
But if you be without chastisement, where of all the partakers, then are you bastards and not sons? He's saying you're illegitimate if you don't experience chastisement. Verse 9, here it is. Here's what I want to point to. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Who are the fathers of our flesh? Our dads. And our dads have corrected us. Anybody have a dad that ever corrected you? Yeah. Told us good things to do, bad things, you know, corrected us. And when they did that, what does it say? Verse 9, we and we gave them reverence. So what he's saying, this is a basic thing to understand. If, you ever feel like there's something in my hair? Do I have like a spider on my hair? Is it the cord? I think I'm going crazy. Okay. A common response, it'll come one day, guys. If you have young kids, it's going to be eventually. Lord, help us. When you correct your kids and you correct your kids and you do it in love, eventually your kids are going to realize, oh, that was good. I'm glad. That helped me, right? And you're going to, you're going to get reverence or respect from your kids. I'll, I'll even say this. The, the dad who corrects his kids at least gets reverence by like, eventually they go, stop, and the kid will stop because... He's been disciplined enough to know that when dad says stop, I better stop because discipline's coming. You guys with me? So when we, we receive discipline from our earthly fathers, we gave them reverence. He says this, shall we not much rather be in subjection under the father of spirits and live? If you, if you were obedient to your earthly father and that brought about reverence and helped you, don't you think you ought to listen to your heavenly father? And that you'll live when you do that? He goes on. Verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. What does that mean? Um, I'm looking around the room and I'm guessing that not everybody here was chastened by their earthly father today. Anybody in here got a spanking lately from their dad? Right? No. Because it was for a few days. I was, I was in my parents' home from zero to 18, right? And, and I'm, my, my dad's no longer disciplining me, right? So he's saying, for they verily for a few days chastened us, and it says after their own pleasure. You know what that means? That means they did it according to their own discernment for their own reasons, their own purposes. Not every dad was always exactly right in their discipline, Sometimes they tell you to stop doing something because it's wrong and they need to help their character. Sometimes they're telling you to stop doing it because it's annoying and I want you to stop. Right? Do you get it? Right? Be quiet. I'm trying to hear the game. Right? That's what he's saying. They did it for just a short time for their own pleasure, but he, who's he? The Father of Spirits, Heavenly Father, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Do you get it? When God chastens us as our heavenly father, he's doing it because he wants to make us into him. He's not doing it for his own pleasure. I mean, it is for his own pleasure and that, that's what he, it's all in a righteous way, but he wants to make us into something that we ought to be in, and, and do things for holiness. So what he's saying is, don't hate chastening. Verse, that's what he says in verse 11. Now no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth 
the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now I'm getting into my sermon a couple weeks from now, but what he's saying is that when, when you, here's what kids don't understand. When I'm telling you to go to bed on time and not to eat only sugar for your meal every day and to do your homework, it's not because I'm trying to make you suffer. I'm trying to teach you how to be disciplined because all of those disciplines, if you get them into your life, when I'm not around and you're going to bed on time and you're eating a well-balanced meal and you're not stupid because you've done your studies and you can actually have a job that produces, it's good for you. It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness, right? It's good. It's a good thing. You guys aren't getting it's It's good, right? You're like, I feel bad because I stay up late and I'm eating little Debbie's too much, right? Like, that's what you're thinking. And if you're doing that, confess, right? <laughs> okay, anyway. So, so there's this idea that like, what happens when you realize that God's trying to help chasten me because he loves me and he's trying to produce a peaceable fruit of righteousness, then there can be an intimacy with God because I'm realizing he's doing this because he loves me and he cares for me. And so it's not, I saw this meme the other day. There's like two kinds of kids' relationships with dads. Uh, one is, I messed up, I gotta avoid dad. I messed up, I, gotta, I can't let dad know, I hope my dad doesn't find out. Then there's the kid, I messed up, I got to go talk to dad, right? Two different ways of thinking. We have a heavenly father who already knows. And confession is not something that's, it's not fun, but what confession does is it gets, it cuts the time that I'm not right with God down and now I can pursue my relationship with God, pursue closeness with God again. Does that make sense? That's what God wants. Here's the last so how does that happen? Here's number three. Pray confidently in the Lord. Pray confidently in the Lord. Verse 17. Here's what he does. Verse 17. Now therefore, O God, hear the, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. What are you saying? I'm asking you to, to restore us, not because we're so good, but because you're so merciful. That's what he's saying. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Hearken and do. Defer not for thy own sake, oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Jimmy just told me just a few minutes ago, he said, yeah, my dad used to tell me all the time, remember your last name. Your last name is tied to my last name, right? And what Daniel's saying is, I'm a Jew. The covenants you've made, the things you've said you would do, God, do those. I'm confessing, I wanna be restored to you, I wanna be right with you, and I'm praying according to your name. Daniel sought the Lord based on his character, God's character, God's compassion, and God's covenant. All three of those you'll find. You can go through those last few verses and find where he's appealing to God's character, God's 
compassion and God's covenant. When we pray, we ought to have confidence in God's character. God, you are a merciful God. You are a righteous God. When we pray, we ought to uh, come to him on the basis of, of his compassion. God, you said you would be merciful. You're a merciful God. You're a forgiving God, and I am appealing to your mercy and your forgiveness. And we got to go on his covenant. God, you, you made these promises, and I'm going to trust in your promises. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what God's promised. So when we pray, we ought to come on the basis of that covenant. Daniel took refuge in the covenant the Lord made with Abraham. He took refuge. We take refuge now in the new covenant that God made in Jesus. God loved us so much that he made a promise to us. He sent his son who died on the cross for our sins. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he, he, he saves us. It's the only shot we have at heaven. It's the only way we're going to get to eternity. Um, and so if God already gave his son for you to die for you so that you become a part of his family, and he already sent his son to die for you and rise from the dead to, um, to get you to heaven, and if Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us to come again and receive us to himself, that where, where he is we would be also, if that's all true, stop hiding when you did something wrong. When Stop having distance between you and the Lord when you've done something wrong. He's already forgiven it. Just agree with him about what it is and pursue him in prayer and say, God, I've messed up, but I know you're a forgiving God. You're a loving God. Help me to learn how to obey you, to learn how to trust you, to pursue, pursue God in prayer uh, through confession. You engage in authentic Christian living when you practice confession to the Lord, when you pursue closeness with the Lord, and when you pray confidently in the Lord. Isn't that good? I love this prayer from Daniel, and uh, we can only stay true in a world far from God where by realizing that when we are distant from God in our relationship, we pause and stop and we Ask God to forgive us based on the fact that we confess what we've done to him. Here's what I want you to do. It's 749 till 751, 752.